Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Shalom! I am Dr. Ann Davis with Bible Interact. If you were with me in the last session, we talked about giants on the earth. And I showed you in scripture that these physical giants are an army of Satan. They're they're physical giants. God is also preparing an army, but his soldiers are spiritual giants. What do we mean by a spiritual giant? A spiritual giant is one who has submitted in humble obedience to to God, and God has sent his Messiah so to, to the Messiah, and the Messiah, of course, is leading us to the Father. And those are the ones of God's children who have made Yeshua Lord in their life. They're servants. They're servants working for God. These are the, the spiritual giants of God. And we can see in Scripture the, 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 this emerging uh, group of spiritual giants who are in preparation to be an army. They're going to be fighting a battle at some time in the future. By the way, they're referred to as a remnant because not all of God's children uh, submit to Yeshua as Lord and, and serve God. And that does, it has nothing to do with who's saved and who's not saved. It has to do with who is prepared to fight in the battle and win the battle. We want to win the battle. By the way, the 40 years of wilderness wandering is prophetic of this preparation. 40 is the number of preparation. And uh, God gave both the law for instruction and also a process of testing. So you learn by your experiences. It's a form of instruction. And those who um, who were were walking in the ways of the law and had benefited from these ex- testing experiences were the ones who were prepared to enter the promised land to do what? To defeat the enemy. To defeat the enemy and claim, claim the inheritance, claim the land. So that's prophetic of what's happening now. And in our lives today, God is working with us. And... He will work with us to the extent that we let him so that we are learning to draw near to God, to walk in righteous ways, to serve him in whatever role he asks us to serve. Now, different people serve in different ways. And it doesn't have to be some big thing, you know, that you become famous. It doesn't have to be that at all. You fill whatever role God is calling you to fill, and then uh, perhaps you will be worthy to be part of the remnant. Now, we don't know who that will be. God will make that choice. One of the requirements is that the remnant has to stand faithful to the end. So we have no way of knowing. But we certainly do want to be there. At least I want to be there. So I'm very interested in this whole study. So in the last session, uh, we talked about how the giants on the earth that were were warriors for Satan. It was a giant army for Satan. 
And let me just very briefly review that. We started in Genesis 6-4, where we read the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward when the sons of God came in to the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old men of renown. Um, and we work, we use these ancient methods that the people at the time of Yeshua, we have plenty of evidence from the first century so that we can re reconstruct these methods. Um, the people didn't have books like we did. They memorized and they heard scripture. And there were there were things that kicked off their, um, they heard them. They were linguistic devices that they heard. For example, there are key words in that passage. And we went over the key words, sons of God. That was a fascinating study. And uh, men of renown. And we're going to spend time now working on uh, the mighty men, the giborim. But very briefly, we can see the uh, uh, Satan's army that were giants. Certainly David and Goliath, that Goliath was a giant. And when the when Moses sent the 12 spies into the land, you know, to, to, to spy it out, because they were supposed to go in and, and conquer the land, defeat the enemy and conquer the land. And the 12 spies came back and they said, oh, oh, wait a minute, they're giants on the earth. They're the sons of Anak are part of the Nephilim. They're these giants. And we became like grasshoppers in our own sight. And so we were in their sight. We were like tiny, tiny compared to them. They are so big. And so we can't possibly go in and conquer them. This was at the beginning of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. Into 40 years, of course, uh, Moses sent in two spies. Um, uh, he sent in uh, Joshua and Caleb. And they came back and they said, we can defeat this enemy. <laughs> and so they were allowed to go in to, to the promised land to, to conquer the land because they had, they were prepared. They, they were prepared to obey. They were prepared to uh, submit. They were prepared to be totally confident that God was their leader, that they could win the battle. So we see these these giants, and they're giants of Satan. There was one more I'll just remind you of, it. This because it's such a fun one. When um, After the 40 years of wilderness wandering, or at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering, and Moses was um, starting to bring the children of Israel up, they didn't go directly into the land. They went over into what is today Jordan. They were on the eastern side of the Dead Sea and the Jordan River. And uh, uh, they first came to the Moabites, and the Moabites let them pass. By the way, Ruth, the story of Ruth, Ruth was uh, Moabitess. She came from the people of Moab. And the Moabites let them pass, and in fact, they, they pitched their tents on the plains of Moab, which are across the river from Jericho. But then they had to go north from there to defeat the Amorites and the Ammonites. Now, the king of the Ammonites was called Og, and his he was Og, king of Bashan. He was one of the Ammonites. And we read here that Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim. Rephaim is the Hebrew word for giant. And he was left of the remnant. Those are English translations of two different Hebrew words that both mean remnant. Very characteristic of Hebrew that there are synonyms. There are synonyms, there are antonyms, there are homonyms. You know, <laughs> Hebrew language is filled with it, and you, and you can use these linguistic uh, nuances of the language um, and in a way that the, you know, the, the ancient people, the ears would have heard it. So what you have is you, you, you have essentially the remnant of the remnant. 
that's a, that's really what it's saying, and it's 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 called a, a doublet. It's 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 for emphasis. So Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Rephaim, and then it goes on to say that he was so large that his bed was made of iron. You know, because he would have crushed a, a wood bed or anything other than iron. So his bed was made of iron. It was thirteen and a half feet long and six feet wide. So these are physical giants that Satan is cultivating to become an army. Now the battle is going to be fought after the Millennial Kingdom, so this is all in preparation now. So what we're going to do now is we're going to track another word that has been translated in Genesis 6-4 as mighty men. Now, let me briefly again explain to you how you can do this work. You know, I tell people don't believe a word I say. Because if you just listen to people and they tell you this is what it means, that's what it means. First of all, you have no way of measuring, checking, assessing whether what they're saying is right or wrong. And secondly, you're not doing it yourself. You know, you're you're going to advance much more rapidly if you're able to uncover the depth of meaning yourself. So let me just uh, briefly explain. Um, it's called a word study. You start with a word, one word. You know, you should be reading your Bible every day and, and let your curiosity draw you to what I call a key word. So that key word will be in in a verse. You use an interlinear Bible. I suggest you use Biblos.com online, very easy, it's free, and just click on their interlinear Bible. The interlinear Bible will put the verse, the, the translated verse on one line, and it will put the original Hebrew words above each translated word, so that you can go to Mighty Men, which is the English translation, and you can see that's the one Hebrew word, giborim. Now, giborim is plural. You hear it, im, giborim. It's plural. It means mighty men, plural. You take gibor, and it's an adjective describing someone who's very strong, very mighty. And you can track, you know, you, you, you've got a, a root, and you can track the verbs, the, the nouns, the adjectives, and so forth. You can do that in the concordance. The interlinear Bible will, will tell you what the Hebrew word is, and then you click on the number above that, and which will take you to another page. Do not look at Strong's definition. It's an English definition of an English word. Sorry, folks, I know that's easy, but you're not into the Hebrew. Go over to the right column, where you will have the concordance. A concordance is a list of verses in which giborim appears in the Hebrew scriptures. And you can scroll down and, and go through those verses where that word is used so that you're not getting a definition, you're getting a sense of meaning by reading the word in its context in those different verses. You're getting a sense of meaning. It's really the way language works. Language doesn't work with rules. Language does not work with definitions. Language works with the the how you, you absorb a language as a child. It becomes part of you and it and that's the way you're gonna learn Hebrew if you do this. <laughs> So you you know you can go in and see where giborim is used in the Hebrew scriptures and read those verses and they'll they'll give you a sense of that word. Now, 
I've done that for you, so I'm, I'm going to take you to some passages here. And I want to show you how God is building a, an army of Giborim. Satan's army of Giborim are physical giants. God is building an army of Giborim, and they're not physical giants. They're, they're giants because of their humble obedience and willing to serve God. That's what makes them them giants, and um, they have to grow in maturity. I can see all kinds of immature behavior <laughs> in, in, in groups around me, and uh, I mean, I'm, I'm chuckling, but it makes me cry because they want to serve God, but they're, they're acting with this immature behavior. So, you know, maturity is, is part of the requirement of being one of, uh, of being gibor, being very powerful and mighty for God. So, let's take a look now at, these, at, at God's giborim. Very, very, very interesting, because we can see very early in Scripture that all the children of Israel who left Egypt are identified as giborim. So I'm reading now in Exodus chapter 10, verse 11. Go now, the men among you, and serve the Lord, for that is what you desire. So they were driven out from Pharaoh's presence. Now, you don't hear mighty men. The English translation is the men. How would you ever know what that is? It's, it's, the men is hagiborim. It's the mighty men. So it should be, go now, the mighty men, referring to the the children of Israel in Egypt, and and serve the Lord. In other words, God's going to rescue them from bondage in Egypt. He's going to put them out in the wilderness. And and the reason he's doing it, so they can serve him. But they are are described as mighty men when they left Egypt. When they left Egypt, they were all mighty men. And we can see it again in Exodus 12, 37. Now the sons of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Sukkot. This is, you know, they've, um, the last plague has killed all the firstborn of Egypt, and they pick up and they leave. And it says, about 600,000 men on foot aside from children. 600,000 men. Men is the English translation of Giborim. No wonder we haven't seen it. You know, how many people read the Hebrew scriptures in Hebrew and they're believers in Christ? I mean, you know, Jews read read it in Hebrew, but how many Christians are reading it in Hebrew? But you don't have to read it in Hebrew. You just, I, I tell people, be curious, George. Just be curious and let your curiosity lead you to these key words. Just be curious. You have the Holy Spirit in you. The Holy Spirit will guide you to these words. And when you see that word, you're curious, you look it up. You go to Biblos, Interlinear Bible. You you don't work with an English definition, please. You work, you, you have the Hebrew word. You see where the Hebrew word is used. You read the verses where the Hebrew word is used, and you will get a very powerful sense of that word. By the way, if you go to BibleInteract.com, under resources, we have Learn Hebrew and Greek. And people tell me that it is it actually is a very easy way to learn the Hebrew alphabet and the Greek alphabet. That's all you have to know to be able to work with Hebrew words and Greek words. <laughs> and, uh, and we make that easy for you on our website, which is BibleInteract.com. 
We have another website, which is BibleInteract.tv, and that's where we place all our teachings. BibleInteract.com is our education site. That's where you go to, to be educated. You go to BibleInteract.tv to hear us teach. Okay? Now, as we're looking at who these Giborim are, all the men of Egypt who left Israel were Giborim. They're identified as Giborim. Now, we come to, um, to David. And you remember that um, after David killed Goliath, Saul was so impressed, he brought David into his household. David uh, uh, grew into manhood with Jonathan, Saul's son Jonathan. They became as close as brothers. They were very close. But then as David grew into manhood, he was, was fighting for Saul, and he became very popular. And he was so popular that Saul was jealous and so Saul did, attempted to kill David, and David escaped, and he went into what was called the wilderness. Um, if you've been to Ein Gedi in Israel, and you look up on the, those cliff walls, there are caves up there, and that's one of the places where, where David was hiding. He collected with him an army of men who were also outcasts, as he was an outcast. And uh, David and, and these men that, that constituted his army, while Saul was trying to kill him, um, are, are identified as Giborim. Let me read you this passage. It's in First Chronicles chapter 12, verse 8. And we read, from the, Gat, from the Gadites there came over to David in the stronghold in the wilderness mighty men of valor. All right, men trained for war, who could handle shield and spear, and whose faces were like the faces of lions, and they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountains. Now, we need to hear it the way the, the people of ancient Israel heard it. You know, we're so used to just reading that we, we don't catch it. We don't catch the imagery. Don't, we don't catch the symbolism. We don't catch the power of the words. So, David is in the stronghold in the wilderness, that's an echo of the 40 years of wilderness wandering. An echo is when scripture has an allusion, uh, I call it an echo, to, an, to other parts of scripture. And it's, it's reinforcing this idea that David was in preparation to become king of Israel. So he was in the wilderness. And the men who, who, who came to him were mighty men of valor. That's our Giborim. They're the very powerful, strong ones. Um, and, um, and they were trained for war. So we see that this army of God is, is training for war. There's going to be a battle. They are training for war. They could handle shield and spear. Their faces were like the faces of lions. It, it's the imagery. And, you know, we just... That imagery has been driven out of us because we we look at the at the printed word, the printed page. Of course, now we're getting into the um, you know the multimedia world. Maybe maybe it's going to come back to us. I don't know. But their faces were like the faces of lions. Can you see this group of men who are lions? They're no longer men. They're lions, and the lions. You see them sort of, you know, waiting. Uh, my husband and I um, had a wonderful opportunity to, we were in South Africa. I actually was presenting a paper at, uh, at a conference of the Society of Biblical Literature in Cape Town. And uh, my husband joined me after the conference was over. And, and we, we spent some time, I, 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 
I love, you know, animals, nature, wild, and things like that. And one of the things we did was um, to arrange for a uh, to be with um, four other people and two guides. So there were six of us and two guides, and we spent three days, two nights trekking in in the wild. Um, and the guides, of course, had guns. <laughs> Um, we walked in single file because the animals uh, don't feel threatened. If it's one line single filed, if you're abreast, they, they can feel threatened. We weren't allowed to make any noise because uh, we, we couldn't talk because the guys were listening very carefully to what was around us. We came to a, a wide riverbed. Now, we were there during the dry season, so there was only a small uh, little bit of water in the middle of this very wide riverbed. Much of it was dry. But on the... Um, on the edges of the riverbed was very, very, very dense undergrowth. And we approached that dense undergrowth, and the guide, um, you know, put up, put up his hand for us to stop, and we stopped. And then the, the guide in the back came forward, and he stood in front of those, that dense undergrowth for probably about 10 minutes. Where we were, we just stood there. I mean, we couldn't make any noise. We just, we just stood, <laughs> and he he listened for about ten minutes. He was listening for any sounds of animals, and then he started to go through those reeds which grew up over his head, and so he kind of disappeared. And we waited there for about another twenty minutes. He passed through. He saw tracks of a lion in the in the sand, the riverbed in front of the um, of that dense undergrowth and he followed those tracks far enough to satisfy himself that there were no lions in that in that thick undergrowth that we were going to pass through so um, I I have a very vivid sense of lions and I, we had other experiences with lions when we were there so um, I get this picture you know of David and his men and they're not men they're lions and they're lying in wait, just waiting. And their their jaws are kind of drooling, waiting to get whatever they're going to get. So this is the imagery we, we get. Um, uh, David and his mighty men, uh, their faces were like the faces of lions. And they were as swift as the gazelles on the mountain. And if you have ever seen um, um, in Israel, and I can't remember what they call them. It's an animal that lives... Um, it, it, it's a, a, a tiny antelope type ant lives on those cliffs and you see them jump on those cliffs it's just amazing so this is the imagery and that's a, a David and his mighty men now we get the concept of being very powerful very mighty in Hannah's prayer God keeps the feet of his godly ones but the wicked ones are silenced in darkness for not by might might is 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 a word for intense power it's not gibor but it's it's intense power shall a man prevail and prevail is to overcome so it's it's not the physical might that's going to allow God's army to win it's the humble obedience to God and then in the Psalms, we learn more about who are these mighty men. And we want to be the mighty men. So listen carefully. The steps of a man, that's our word, Gibor, are established by the Lord. And he delights in his way. So we walk and we let God establish our walk. And God delights in that. And then there's another one in Psalm 94, which I'll read to you. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Lord, and whom you teach out of your law. So we let God, this is the process of testing. We let God um, 
correct us. And these are the ones who will be able to overcome. Now, I'm going to end, and I don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to have to let you do much of it. I'm in Daniel chapter 3, and starting in verse 19, and going all the way over to verse 30, there's an account of Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. The three friends are identified as Giborim. The English translation is men. The soldiers of Nebuchadnezzar are identified as Giborim. The English translation is men or soldiers. Nebuchadnezzar, of course, is a is is a symbolizes Satan. So I'll let you read that. But that's the the picture of the final battle. So well, I have to actually have time to read just a little bit to you. Let me show you how it works here. So. Um, uh, Nebuchadnezzar commanded that this furnace be burned seven times the regular heat, and seven is the number of completeness. He wants to be absolutely certain, this is prophetic, that Satan is going to defeat God's, God's mighty men. And then um, he says, um, oh, let's see, these men were tied up in their trousers, their coats, their caps. Th those are the three friends of Shad, uh, the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are Giborim. And then you keep getting the story. Read about the men. And then the soldiers um, were uh, Giborim. And the fire is going to turn around. God's going to use that irony. It's going to turn around. It's not going to destroy God's men. It's going to turn around and destroy the men of Nebuchadnezzar. With that, I'm going to say shalom. But you have fun going to Daniel chapter 3 to read this account of the Giborim. Shalom. <laughs>